Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. The Australian Open has officially started, and pretty much everyone with a tennis racket is down under. So we decided to hop on the Skype and strike up a conversation with one of our favorite Aussies, Sarah Stone. As a junior, Sarah was an Australian national champion. Professionally, she played doubles with Sam Stoser and went on to coach Sam through three Grand Slam doubles titles. Recently, she coached world number 39, Alexandra Krunich, and American Alexa Glatch. She is the founder and head of the Women's Tennis Coaching Association and has a unique perspective on the trajectory of females in the sport. Sarah's going to give us an on-the-ground perspective of what's going on in Australia. She's going to help us break down the draws and tell us what to look for coming up in Australian tennis. She's also going to share her unique perspective and pragmatic approach to making sure more girls stay in the sport and more women coach on tour. Sarah Stone, coming to us from Melbourne today. Yeah. Now, I understand that you live in California. Yeah. Are you bi-continental? Do you do things on both continents? Yeah, I do. I'm a dual citizen, actually. I live in Santa Monica right now. So it's a go-between kind of Melbourne and LA. Okay, and you are an elite coach. You are in charge of and the head of the WTCA. And you are on the ground in Australia. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys. The pleasure is ours. Without any more fanfare, let's just get right into it. Uh, Like the Aussie Open, we do a five-set format. And also, like Australia, it might get hot. Are you ready? This is our first set. We call it the Off the Court Report. You know, I know you have a lot of different things going on, but let's start with the WTCA. Um, What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I founded the WTCA three years ago. It's the Women's Tennis Coaching Association. And together with a couple of friends, we sat down and we thought about how can we help women's tennis, just make it a bigger sport. And we recognized that girls drop out of tennis starting from about the age of 10 years old. Girls quit. Yeah, they quit playing. And then by the time they're 17, some statistics show about 75% of girls completely stop or any form of competitive tennis. So we decided that if we put in specific education, how to work well with girls, that we'll be able to retain more female players. So that's why we started the WTCA and it's rapidly expanded and we've done lots of great things. So it's really exciting. Well, give me the X's and O's. What do you do? Yeah. So we identified obviously the issue. So we started on Facebook, just putting out content where it featured female athletes doing drills and hitting because I noticed that most of the video content you would see in that social space would be Roger's serve and Novak's backhand and Rafa's forehand, and there just wasn't a lot of stuff out there that girls could see. And if we quote Billie Jean, if you can see it, you can be it. Well, nobody could see it. So we started with that. We moved on to obviously having a website and then hosting conferences. Mm. So we've done New York, Paris, Indian Wells, Naples. We'll head to the UK. So we felt like by having a conference, that was a great way for like-minded people to get together and make change. So you've been in Australia for a little while and you're going to be there through the first week of the tournament. Um, just tell us what you've been up to. So I've been here for almost a month when I leave and I did a presentation for Tennis Australia at their conference in at the Brisbane International. So that was one of the things. And now on Monday, 
the WTCA has a breakfast event for the Australian Open. The speaker is Judy Dalton, who's one of the founding nine members of the WTA. So we do that with a, it's a corporate breakfast, but it's a great way to share that tennis and corporate meet. It's diversity and inclusion kind of workshop breakfast. So it's great Judy there because I sat on the phone with her and her stories are unbelievable. The, what they did for women's tennis, the founding nine, it's just, it's the story that's not told enough. Not told enough. Uh, Judy, by the way, if you're listening, we'd love to get you on the show to tell that story. Um, but let's talk about you, Sarah Stone. You were in Brisbane. Now you're in Melbourne. What are your sources telling you about the balls, the speed of the courts? Have you have you learned anything interesting that we should know about? Players are pretty finicky about balls. I haven't heard anyone say anything about the balls. So have you Have you hit with those balls yet? I haven't hit one, but I've rolled them around. (laughs) I I picked them up and they're pretty decent balls. You don't always know which ball they will be using at the tournament. I'm not sure if this particular Dunlop ball is available on the shelves right now, but I would imagine it's somewhat similar to the Wilson ball that they used down here before. There's a one ball for men's and women's tennis. The fact that we use different balls for men's and women's tennis in the U.S. I think is completely ridiculous. Is that a, is that a fact? The ball is different at the U.S. Open? It's a different, I believe, different density in the cloth. So it, let's say the extra duty Wilson ball they use in men's tennis and the regular duty Wilson ball they use in women's, which is a lighter ball. And a lot of female players don't like using that lighter ball because it just flies off the racket. And I don't see if all the tournaments around the world, Wimbledon, Australian Open, Roland Garros, if they all use the same ball for men and women, why in the U.S. market are we using different balls for men and women? It seems crazy. Bizarre, I have to say. You you just absolutely fired something at me that I had not known. That must be for the whole hardcore season because – Throughout the whole hardcore season, you, you play with the U.S. Open ball. I had, I did not know that. What ball do they use for the mixed? Ah, uh, I think they use the women's ball. Scotty, we got to follow up on this. This is this is high drama. We did not know this. Oh, uh, have you learned anything about court speed? I know that the court speed was very quick in Brisbane. I was told, and it was still quite quick in. Uh, Sydney, but I I haven't heard that the court is really quick in Melbourne, but I can't I can't say for sure. But I I doubt that it would be extremely fast. It's not usually they are quick for hard courts, but I don't think it's extremely fast. Interesting. Um, usually, um, the Australian speed is like a sort of a medium speed that a lot of the stylists seem to like. I think so. I think most players like a medium speed hard court. I think the same goes for club players as well. When those courts are shooting through, it can make things, can get pretty ugly. It can be difficult to play on fast, hard courts. Well, listen, the Australian Open has just begun. We're looking at the draw. This is our on-the-court report. Let's start with the women. Let's go to the top half. Yeah. The first thing that jumps out, incredible, Simona Hollip, who, first of all, is coachless, right? Yep. She's playing, yeah, she is. She's playing Kaya Kanepi who I believe absolutely pistol-whipped her uh, not yep, that long first ago. first round of the U.S. Open, she knocked her off. But that's a very fun first-rounder, I mean. Yeah, I think it would be great. Kaya is such a great player. I don't think that 
anyone ever wants to look at the draw and see her in there in the first round, especially because she's had some deep runs at slams. She seems to be able to turn it on and play some pretty serious big hitting tennis. So Kaya Kanepi, the Estonian, I mean, she hits the ball so hard. Yeah, she's she is a massive strike on the ball. She's, I mean, tactically plays extremely well. I think that particular matchup is more difficult for Simona because she can just stand in the middle and just blast. And she returns serves so well. She attacks short serves really well. Short second serves are not always that easy to take advantage of because they don't they don't really come to you, but Kaya's all over them. So it'll be a big match. I think that I had to go one way. I think I'd tip Simona. I think that she'll be pretty disappointed on the back of that, that exit in Sydney mm. to Ash, though Ash played really well. But I think that she'll be gearing up and, and really trying to get a win there on the, in that first match. What are your sources telling you about Darren stopping with Simona? What have you heard about this? Well, it's difficult balancing that with your family and everything like that. I think that Australia would be desperate to get Darren Cahill more in the coaching ring and just influence in tennis in Australia. He's not taking a sabbatical from broadcasting. I don't believe so. I saw him on the TV last night, so I think he's still doing that. But if you're trying to balance family, commentating, coaching the world number one player, I mean, that is players want you there all the time. That's one of the tough things about coaching players on tour. It's not just the on-court sessions. It's go- getting breakfast or the warm-up or picking up the rackets or getting the lunch, mixing the drinks, talking about the match, going home, having dinner. I, it seems to me something's fishy. Like if you're coaching the best player in the world, all of a sudden... It's unusual. It's unusual. Say. It's unusual. I, and now is anyone... Is have it- a great relationship and yeah. they're, they're very good friends and they... I think they went – I saw some Instagram where they went skiing in the off-season together. I don't know, you know, and sometimes with coaches you might need a break because if you become too close to the player in your friendship that it it's hard to have that authority. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't yeah, know them. So no I, I don't know, but I would say that it can become tough and sometimes – player-coach relationships. Look at Novak and Vida. I mean, Vida's amazing, and they had a break for a little while, and now he's he's back working with him. He's won two slams, and sometimes you need to keep it fresh. Right. Sometimes you need to a fresh voice, and uh, for every coach, there comes a moment in their coach's career where they have to put the job on the line to get the player to respond. Yep. And if you, if you don't, and, and maybe you have to have the guts to do that. And maybe Darren had the guts to do that. Um, now listen, if whoever wins that match has to play Sophia Kennan, most likely who's playing a qualifier, Sophia Kennan. And what can you say about her? She is, she is a workhorse. She's a nice girl and she's just put the head down and, and gets the job done. She's got a great backhand. She's very fast and she's an extremely good competitor. Looks like she's like playing. She's all business right now, too. I mean, yeah, no big smiles from her. She looks like she's, you know, she's just going to work. Yeah, she puts the business hat on. But I think she was underestimated when she first came on tour. A little unassuming, quite assassin, and she just goes after it and works hard. If you're a good athlete and a great competitor, well, she's a great athlete, great athlete and great competitor. 
that sets you up for a pretty successful career. I mean, this top half of the draw, and particularly this like top top half, this is like the circle of death. This is like a death draw. <laughs> you got both Williams sisters. I mean, Victoria Azarenka is in this side of the draw. Uh, both Plushkovas are, I mean, Muguruza's on this side, Camilla Georgie's on this side, Naomi Osaka is on this side. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Kiki Burton's isn't on that side, is she? No, uh, Elise Burton's is, and Kiki Burton's isn't. She's she's to win a slam this year, so I'm thinking that that's a good sign that she's on the other side of the draw. Sarah Stone with the eye on Kiki Burton's. You know, one of the more interesting first-round matches I like is Tomjanovic Kanta. Tomjanovic, she's rough stuff, man, and she hits the ball five million miles an hour as well. <laughs> Isla's a worker. She works really hard. Isla Tomjanovic, everyone. This is an Australian. She has been an on-and-off girlfriend of Nick Kyrgios, and she is the real deal, man. I, it's, if she ever puts it together... It's hard to think that she's not a top 10 player. I think so. I think she's got a really good serve. She's improved her forehand a lot over the years. She is. She works hard. She's, I've always thought that she was going to be a great player. And, and she's done really well. She had a very good year in 2018. I think that was one of her best years. And I think you'll see her have a successful 2019. And Joe Conta, it'd be great to see her get back up there. I think that when you hit the top in the UK and you deal with the wrath of the media and the, all the pressure and things like that, I think that had the UK people played a more supportive role, celebrate how well she's doing rather than pound down on one loss, it, it can be tough for you mentally and emotionally to deal with that. It's already hard enough to win those big matches. I mean, the top half of the draw is a bloodbath. I think if we look at who's playing well, it is stacked on that side, but Gurgaz is in the other side who won the tournament in New Zealand, the first tournament of the year, Auckland. So Burton's is still in in Sydney. Kazakina hasn't had a great start to the year. She has not been lights out. So usually in Australia, whoever did the best off-season has a pretty decent shot at a good run. And also... Whoever um, didn't do the work, sometimes... It shows. Sometimes they, they don't hit too many balls because it's a really tough year. It's a long year. People disengage with tennis as soon as the US Open's done. So in the, in the fans' mind, the year's over. And it might be worth investigating how they can really shorten up and make it a true season like other major sports. All right. Um, listen, is there anything else you see that you think is... Um, Extra special, extra sexy. Sabalenka right now, she's the 11th seed in the tournament. It's hard to picture her losing to anybody. Yeah, she just blasts the ball. You talk about hitting the ball hard. She hits the ball hard, and, and she's playing very, very well. Um, are there any Aussie players we don't know about? Ash Barty is just an awesome athlete. I think she'd do well. Yeah. I do. I think dealing with pressure in Australia and just getting better at the big match pressure what I've noticed, and backing it up, beating Mertens three and three after a world number one in Sydney, you can have a little bit of a lull, a letdown after you beat someone like that. And she came out and she produced. So, wow, we as Aussies, we'd love to see Ash get through and and win a slam in singles. I mean, that would be phenomenal. We're gonna wrap up this side. I'm just gonna go ahead and say I think that it's gonna be a Savalenka. Serena Williams final. Um, do you care to chime in on that? Uh, I'm going to go with a 
Serena Williams, Kiki Burton's final. Wow. What, what is it about Burton's that uh, you think? Well, I am a massive Kiki Burton's fan because she has a huge game. Her serve is huge. She hits her spots really well and she's able to open court. A lot of people can serve through the box well. She seems to be able to serve out of the box really well. It obviously goes through, but it, it really puts the person under pressure her forehand is unbelievable. She can smack the ball from the middle of the court. She's really had a great off season. She's worked extremely hard. I mean, obviously I know that from chatting to her coaches and she is moving really, really well. I think the courts in Brisbane were very quick. So I think that Vekic took advantage of those quick courts. These are a little bit slower. And She's just a great girl. Her mentality is excellent. I think she's also a great competitor. And I don't know, I just have a feeling she had a great season and being number nine in the world now and her whole, the way she approaches her tennis, I, I, I really admire the, the leaps and bounds that she's taken over the last couple of years and she's great for the sport and I, I would really love to see her winning one of those slams. Kiki Burton's nine in the world. I mean, that's a sneaky nine in the world. You come back from the holidays, Kiki Burton's is nine in the world. I mean, that's that's no joke. No, I mean, she knocked Halep off in the final of Cincinnati. She had a great season. And she just continually climbed up, up, up. It's been gradual. You haven't seen the ups and downs and ups and downs. Some players, they'll be 30 in the world, then they're eighth year in the world, then they're 40, and then they're 150. Kiki's just kept kept rising and kept kept adding to her game and she's got a great team behind her and that's what I like to see steady slow and steady wins the race sometimes the last question um in our you know the on the, in this in this section but why aren't we seeing more elite women professionals from Australia I think that it takes time when you change the head of tennis inside a federation and I know that Nicole Pratt has been doing it for probably maybe seven years and Sam's done so well. When people talk about Sam's career and they say she could have achieved more, Sam Sosa, I mean, four in the world, Grand Slam champion, five doubles Grand Slams, that's pretty, that's insane. So with that, we didn't have a lot of players through that generation and so the next generation of players which Nicole Pratt has been involved with driving forward. I think that we've got some great players coming through. Ellen Perez went through the US college system. I'm a big fan of hers. Destiny is working with one of my best friends, Nicole Kriz, and I think Destiny's got a massive game. She's just young and raw. Destiny Aiva. And is she's she's Aussie? She's Australian, yeah. Her parents are from Samoa. I believe they were Mm -hmm. uh, fighters cage fighters ufc fighters something like that she did work with her parents incredible name incredible name i saw her on tv the other day and i said yep. who is this girl yep nicole has been a very steady influence her coach and i think stability is something that's always essential for players and that has been what they've they've really worked hard to create a great foundation for destiny and I think we'll see her really come through 2020. I think she'll have a good year this year, but she'll continue to build. But she can play. Her serve and backhand were massive. Let's move into the um, men's. Yeah. I want to talk about some of these Aussie players. Your boy Bernard Tomic has a tough first-round match. He's playing Marin Silic, actually. 
First of all, what's Bernard Tomich's problem? <laughs> well, I don't know him, so you'd have to ask ask him about. So what, what are, what are, what's the general consensus? I would say that we know he's had some interesting times with his dad. I think it can be really difficult to have a parent as a coach, and we've seen coaches come and go as parents. Benchich was always worked with her dad, then she didn't work with her dad. Now he's back working with her. I think that just adds an element of difficulty for players. I think being so good so young, he was amazing winning the Orange Bowl. I think Orange Bowl, I think when he was maybe 12. Just the hype and certain characters find it more difficult to deal with that pressure. And some thrive. And I think that it, it's been when it's a combination of maybe family pressure and all that sort of thing, I think that's difficult. And growing up in front of the media, they roast you for anything. So I think that's that's what's been quite difficult for him. He's a great player. I mean, this guy can really play tennis. He's caught awareness and, the you know, his forehand, how he can just delay the contact and really has the ball on a string. So I'm sure that he's come across in his true light through the media. Now, um, is is he uh... – I, I, you know, I know he won, like, a, I think he won Korea. Like, a, he got of nowhere. He, he just blew through a tournament and won it. You know, this guy was sort of nowhere. And, and then he won a tournament, which just shows you the talent. Um, is he on an uptick? Is he, uh, ex, ex, is, so. he is he doing uh, better behavior? Yeah, I think he's getting older and more mature. And I think that if it was me and I was pounded like he was with the, with the media, I might say some stuff that I could look back and change and and want to say something different. But I think that he seems very focused on his tennis. He's hitting the ball really well. And personally, hear. I always like to see the Aussies do well. I hope that he has a good summer and a good year. Now, um, on that note, they're easily the most polarizing player in men's tennis. <laughs> What's happening with Nick? It looks like he just puts no effort in right now. Are you anywhere on him? Do you have any kind of feelings about him? Do you think he's going to maybe mature? You know, you never know with people. I think he's dealing with the same sort of thing as Bernie. I think that be tough and you're growing up in front of the world, which is hard. Every It's an age now where if different generation made mistakes, you weren't so heavily scrutinized because of social media. Sure. So I think I think we have to always appreciate that that could be quite difficult. I, he's one of my favorite players to watch. I love watching him. Uh, he, maybe we, you know, the way he plays the game, if seems like he's disengaged at times. Maybe it's tactical. I mean, people people do things like that to try and throw the other player off their game. But everyone loves to watch him. He's a, he's a great character. I think all these things come with maturity and being able to handle everything that's thrown at you, what, what comes with success. No, his tennis is unbelievable. Um, and you're right. Nobody was posting on uh, Instagram, Vetus Garolitis going, you know, buck wild uh, at Studio exactly. 54. Yeah. Exactly. No, no everyone forgets that. The, the times have changed and times are tough for these athletes. So in a way, I feel sorry for them. I mean, obviously, I know that that's what brings them in a lot of big contracts, but that's got to be tough. Um, Alex Dimanauer. Amazing. I Amazing. Mean, incredible. I love watching his matches. I, I watch I like watching tennis. I, I watch a decent amount of it. But when that guy's on, I'm glued to the screen. He is such an athlete, it's scary. 
his dedication and focus and respect for the game and Leighton Hewitt's done a, a ridiculously good job mentoring him and, as he's mentioned, keeps him grounded and it's up to your team to do that. And Leighton's done an amazing job for tennis for the men in Australia. When I see him at the tournaments, he's everywhere and he's helping all the guys, such a supporting mentoring role. And I think he's really brought them together as a crew. And tennis being an individual sport, he's managed to build strong camaraderie between the guys. And I think if we have a little bit more of that in the women's tour, tennis would be even more successful if there's a little bit more camaraderie between the players. This is our third set. This is where we discussed the interviewee, the player's career. You know, from the best I can tell, you had an illustrious junior career that when you turned pro, it seems to me that you got hobbled with some injuries. You're definitely right. I was I was a very good junior. What are some of the um, highlights of your junior career? Oh, well, I was Australian national champion. I played all over the world in doubles. I, I got my ranking up to, I think, number eight in the world or seven in the world. I was around 80 in the world in junior singles. What are some of your, what are some of your elite wins? Who did you have, who do you have wins over? That's interesting. Oh, you're asking me to cast back a long way. Uh, let me think. I think when I was playing for Australia, my, my partner and I knocked off Lee Na in the doubles and she turned out to be a good player. It's a Hall of Famer uh, right there. Uh, also, Way back when Yelena Dokic first came out to Australia, she's a great girl, Yelena Dokic. But we had a we knocked her off in singles. She was unstoppable, but we knocked her off in the dub. So yeah, she I could think, never volley, that's for sure. <laughs> no, she's a great volleyer now, but she actually she did very well in doubles as well. And it, it, throughout her career, it reached number four in the world. Is that right? I guess I have that wrong. Then I take that back. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to dig through dig through a few. No, I'm good. Uh, I'm good with Lena and uh, Yelena Dokic. Um, but you stopped at 17. Um, how did you start up again? I stopped at 17 because I, I really enjoyed the sport. I only returned to playing because a couple of friends asked me to fill in for some club matches in Europe. So I started playing and played a couple of tournaments. And at one of the tournaments, you went to play like the the Bundesligas. Yeah, exactly. But it was in it was in Holland, so it's it's kind of like it's the, the same league. thing. But it's yeah. So I played in Holland, loved it. My friend said, "Let's go play a couple of tournaments." So I did. It's very shortly, somewhere along the line, a couple of months later, I started playing doubles with Sam Stozer, and that worked out pretty well. We played together for for a year. Well, we played a lot, a lot of the WTA tournaments. We played the Australian Open together. I think we won four tournaments together. I got injured in, in the foot. So I stopped for a little while, then I came back and played another friend at Wimbledon, which was fun. We actually beat Denara Safina. We had to go through the qualies. So we, we beat a girl, uh, Cameron from Italy and Denara Safina in the last round of qualies, which was fun. She went on to be world number one in singles. Denara Safina, the sister of Marat Safin, she um, shot up to the sun and then kind of stopped. She was a big body on the court, and she got to one in the world and then just really just kind of stopped playing. Yeah, well, she had 13 stress fractures in her back. So Oof. I don't know. That's pretty rough. I, I don't oh. think I'd be pounding the pavement with 13 stress fractures in my back. That's a That's got to be a horrible injury. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a terrible injury. She's a really nice girl, and she's getting a little bit back into doing – I know she did a presentation for Tennis Europe – 
and she's dabbled in some coaching, so she's still involved in tennis commentary and no. stuff. But it was unfortunate because she's a, a phenomenal player. So how did you segue out of pro tennis? Was it injury-based? Injury, yes, definitely injury. But to be honest, when you're injured like that and you think about what you have to do to get yourself back to that level, I just wasn't willing to do the work. And I think that some people in their careers, they face that and they're not really sure what they want to do after it. And their whole identity is playing tennis. And for me, that really wasn't a concern. I I felt injured and I felt like I didn't have quite enough passion and and desire to do the day in, day out grind. So I knew there was a lot of other things to look forward to in tennis is why I turned to coaching quite young and I coached uh, Sam Stozer. How do you meet Sam Stozer? I have known Sam Stozer since I was 10 years old. We played junior tournaments together and then we play, we traveled to junior Wimbledon, junior French Open together with the other Australian players. And I reconnected and started playing doubles with her when I started playing again at some tournaments. So, you know, you know, when people hear about people coming back from injuries, to do that work is tough. No, it's incredible. I've coached Alexa Glatch, American Fed Cup player, for the last nearly seven years. And out of seven years, I think she's been probably injured four and a half of them on, off, on, off. Tennis, you don't get old. It just gets tough to keep waking up and doing that same grind over and over and over and over. So... It can knock players out of the game, but so the ones that stay around are the ones that are absolutely in love with tennis, and they're the ones that can weather those really difficult injury periods. And the fitness level now is just out of control. I mean, I just don't understand how anyone's getting through these seasons without these Andy Murray-like you know, hip injuries. and, and- Yeah, I hate watching Andy suffering out there because I know that he's one of those guys that just loves tennis so much. So you can see emotionally it's tough for him because he just wants to be right. But players are overall much more professional than they were back in the day. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories of players having 10 beers before they played their matches back in the day or they'd have the Wimbledon final and that they didn't stretch and things like that. So I think the professionalism of the sport is what's allowed players like Federer and Serena and Venus to just keep on keeping on. Um, talk to us about your involvement with Krunich. Um, from what I understand, you had some significant involvement with her, you know, getting to number 39. Yeah. One of my very good friends is another coach on tour, actually. She's working with Kiki Burton's team this season. And who's that? uh, Elise Tamela. Okay. She's a Dutch girl. We played together back in the day. She was a great player, actually. I think she got to around 120. And she was working with Alex and we just started chatting about Alex's tennis early on in 2018, the Australian Open. I watched her matches. And then when Indian Wells rolled around, uh, she asked me if I could help her work with Alex because another set of eyes all, all helps. So we got together there and just started kind of talking a little bit. And then Alex had asked me, could I do some weeks that Elise couldn't do? And it sort of rolled on from there. I went with her for the second European clay court tournament. She made her first semifinal of the year in Rabat. And then we, a couple weeks later, she had a good run at the Italian Open, knocking off Roberta Vinci in her last match, which is always really fun to be part of. Gosh, that was crazy with the Italian fans. 
And then we went to the Ross Marlin in Holland. Funny, actually. Uh, before her, I did the warm-up the first few days and then on the first day of her match, I had to fly to America to do the citizenship exam. Huh. And then I did a turnaround. I flew in, landed, took the test, flew back. So she managed to win that first round. And I, I went on and worked with her through the rest of the tournament. And she won her first WTA title and reached a career high ranking of 39. And we kept working together. By the way, um, I've had the absolute pleasure of sticking with uh, Mariana Lucic's team when she made like a deep run at the U.S. Open four years yeah. ago or so. And there is nothing more exciting than when your player is clicking on all cylinders and you're going through the tournament, man. To win a tournament is a great, great feeling. Yeah, it was it was really cool. I mean, I was pretty young that time when I was working with Sam and Sam actually won three doubles grand slams. Looking back, I remember they won the first set against uh, Dementieva and Panetta, her and Lisa Raymond in the final of the US Open. And then I thought, oh, this is just, you know, this is just how it goes. And then she she lost that second set and they ended up winning the third set. And I didn't even realize at the time, I just thought it was a natural evolution. You know, she did this, 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 oh, now she won a Grand Slam. That was in 2005. And then so much time after with Alex in 2018 for her to win a singles title, it just doesn't happen that often. And with Alex, it was great because she was a set and a breakdown against Coco Vandeweghe in the semis. And with the WTA's on-court coaching, I could go out and chat to her and said a few things like, come on, champion. And she said back to me, I am not a champion. <laughs> and I told her, yeah, you're my champion and you can do this. And I gave her a bit of a rev up and she managed to turn it around, won that semi and then beat Flipkins in the final. And for her, that's phenomenal. Not that many players win WTA titles. And it's something, no matter what happens with the rest of her career, that she'll always have in the bag. Moving into our fourth set, we call this the 10-ball scramble. I'm just going to say something. It's word association. I'm um, ready. Kuyang. A history. Melbourne. Amazing. Guys coaching girls. Works really well. Girls coaching guys. Exceptional. Margaret Court. Legend. Ivan Gulagong. Guru. Yelena Dokic. Superstar. Your favorite player? Kiki Burtons. Your favorite coach? Raymond Slaughter. Who's that? He's Kiki's coach. He's a great guy. And what's his background? He was top 10 ATP player. He's Dutch. Two-handed off both sides. Oh, interesting. How do you spell the last name? S-L-U-I-T-E-R. Oh, I didn't know, you, I didn't know that's how you pronounced it. Um, well, you're big on this Burton's team. You're big team Burton's right now. I'm big, I'm big team Burton's. I think she, I think she's a great girl and I think she's great for tennis. All right. Uh, Vegemite. Delicious. Really? Yeah. It's so good. Do you bring it back with you? Um, I hate to be Australian and say this, but I'm allergic to barley, so I don't eat it anymore. Uh, you can't have it anymore. I uh, know it's, it's, it's a disaster. This is our fifth and final set. This is Queen of the Court. If you were the queen, how would you do it? Um, my question to you is, it's a simple one, I think. How do, you, how do we get more women coaching on the pro tour? 
That's an amazing question. Thanks for asking it. I think in pro tennis, well, it would be good to start with the women's side since it is a women's sport. And a lot of the women actually played on tour. So they it, it makes total sense, but then it doesn't really happen. One of the factors that players bring up as to why they don't want to work with female coaches is, one, they've never actually had a female coach, so they're just so used to having a male coach. So if we can get females working with female coaches when they're younger, it makes more sense to them down the road. So that's one. Two is they say, well, I want to be able to hit with my coach and the guys hit the ball bigger because they just maintain their strength or maybe they were just better players to begin with if you you compare. I think that the tour could invest in having hitting partners that travel on the tour. We have all this staff that travels on the tour, which is definitely needed and it's great. But if we had 10 of the same hitting partners all the time traveling around the world, the women who hired female coaches could utilize those hitting partners, but the women who hired male coaches could not. And you would see a really big upswing in the number of female players that hired female coaches. That's my solution. It's an expensive well, one, I mean, but it is my not solution. Not that expensive. And there's a lot of money out there, man. There's a lot of people in America, as we know, that are extremely wealthy tennis people. If they want to make a change, that's a really easy way to do it. Well, but the but the tour has money too. Like you could you could try to That's a unique investment though, I think. That's maybe not in their vision, but if money was allocated to that specifically, I think that that yeah, would be no. a big change. And I've discussed it with some of the big federations actually. I said this is this is the solution. And it's going to take one of them to step up. The LTA, I talked to them about. It. I talked to Tennis Canada about it. This is what it's going to take because you, when you eliminate the excuse of, oh, well, the women can't hit as well. Well, I've said this before. Robert Lansdorp is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Went with Bouchard to Wimbledon. I believe he's maybe 80, but he definitely can't even feed. Wasn't an issue for her. So why is it an issue for women that they can't hit, but for men it doesn't matter if they don't hit? Sarah, Sarah Stone with like a cool, unique perspective right there. Sarah Stone, will you be uh, at the matches? Will you be out there? Yeah, I'm actually going to head over to a couple practices today. A few friends are working with different players and asked me to swing by and check it out. So I'm looking forward to going to the court when we wrap up today. And then I'll head out to the first couple of rounds of main draw matches before I go back to the US. So I love going to the Australian Opens. Probably the best tournament in the world. Absolutely. Have a great tournament. Have fun. Hey, go Kiki Burtons. (laughs) Bye. See you, mate. Bye. Huge thank you to Sarah Stone. want to thank everyone for listening and for spreading the word. If you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review us. We can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Our Invesco Series giveaway will be announced later this week. Thanks to everyone who wrote in, DM'd us, retweeted, and spread the word. Uh, we will be at the event at the Newport Beach Tennis Club on the 26th. And if you didn't win but still want the VIP experience, you can still buy tickets on their website at www.invescoseries.com. If you have any comments, concerns, or if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, our lines are open 24-7. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Underreview Tennis is our Instagram and Facebook. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Jason Binnick did our mix. 
We'll be back before you know it with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released. <laughs>